I, uh, I love the story of, of the shepherds. Of all the Christmas readings, probably for me, that is my favorite. And one of the reasons for that is I, I just love imagining the fact that the shepherds are sitting there in the darkness. And for them, which was, it was just another normal night going about, shepherding. And then suddenly they're interrupted. They're not looking for, you know, they're not the magi, they're not the wise men following stars. They're sitting there beneath the stars, but they're completely clueless, just going about their normal business, and they're interrupted by the angels. And the angels tell them a message that leaves them totally transformed. And here we are, 2,000 years later, sitting on, in what feels like metaphorical darkness, in what feels like a really dark time of life. And we're doing our best to go out about our normal business, but obviously it's, it's pretty tough. And the news uh, just from yesterday, from last night, was again really depressing. And, and we've already spoken to quite a few people who've said, actually, this feels like the hardest point so far, um, to be honest. So here we are in our darkness. And yet the same message that the angels brought to those shepherds 2,000 years ago, the message that has been changing and transforming people's lives ever since is the message that we still hear today, the message of Christmas. And it's a message that has um, a power beyond any other to transform us. And I want to try and just simply unpack what the message is. It's quite, it's quite, it's amazing. So it's hard to get our heads around. So I'm just going to try and break it down into a few simple things. The first is the message of Christmas is that God has come close. God has come close. So a little while ago, back in the day, there was a space race between the Russians and the Americans. And it was a race to see who could get a person up into space first and back down again. And the Russians won that space race. They, they got someone up, they got him back down, and he was interviewed on TV and he was asked the question, when you were in space, did you see God? And his answer was, no. And then um, somebody else, the Americans, got someone up and, and down, and they were asked the, the, the guy was asked the same question, when you were in space, did you see God? And his response was, uh, I would have had I stepped out of my space suit. Now, C.S. Lewis was around at the time, and he was commenting on these events, and he said, um, asking someone who's gone up into space and back down again whether they saw God is like asking Hamlet um, if he's gone up onto the top floor of the castle inside of the play whether he saw Shakespeare. He said, Hamlet's never going to bump into Shakespeare because Hamlet is a character within the story, and Shakespeare is, of course, the author of the story. And in the same way, God is the author of creation and we are within creation. So the only way we will ever meet God is if he chooses to write himself into the story. 2,000 years ago, in the person of Jesus Christ, that's what happened. God wrote himself into the story. He came close. He became one of us. And one of the things that um, I ask as I think about that truth is what does that tell us about what God is like? What does that say to us about him? Think about it like this. Mike has a fish pond in his garden and when he's away I usually get the job of going around and feeding the fish. He likes them to be fed a lot and so I'm there pretty regularly and, and uh, imagine I said to you one day, do you know what? I've really become fond of Mike's fish. I really love them, but they don't seem interested in a relationship with me. Every time I come near the pond, even though I'm all, all I'm doing is wanting to bring them food, they sink down to the bottom. And so I say to you, I've come up with a radical solution because I love these fish. I've decided to have an operation to become a fish. What would you say if I said that? You would say, Andy, 
you are crazy. Are you sure you want to go through with that? You'd be like, aren't you really tall? Aren't you a crazy five foot nine? You want to give up that and become a tiny little fish? You might say to me, Andy, don't you have a phenomenal memory? Can't you remember things from two and sometimes even three days ago? You're going to give up a brain like that to get a tiny little fish memory of two or three seconds? You might say to me, Andy, don't you have tremendous freedom? Can't you go outside on an essential shopping trip or once a day for exercise with one other person in a public place? You're gonna give up tier four freedom like that to just literally be stuck in a pond and just swim round and round and round. And imagine I said, yes, I am. And I went ahead and I did it. And then you came to see me six months later after lockdown lifted and you saw I'd had the operation, I'd become the fish. How do you feel leaving the pond? I reckon you would feel pretty confused. There'd be a lot of unanswered questions, probably, but the one thing that would be abundantly clear, the one thing anyone would say to themselves as they left that pond is, wow, when he said he loved fish, he was not kidding. I mean, if he's gonna go through that, he must really love the fish. Now, the idea of me becoming a fish is less ridiculous than the idea of the creator of the cosmos becoming a tiny little baby. Of the one who we're told elsewhere in the scripture measures the universe by the span of his hand. Of him having one of those tiny little chubby baby hands that just grips Mary's thumb. The way that one person put it is that there is something born in that stable that is bigger than the whole world. And whilst there's a, a lot of mystery around God the Son becoming a baby, there's an awful lot of mystery around it. The one thing that is abundantly clear is that if God has done that, he must really, really love us. If he's prepared to go to those lengths to have a relationship with us, he must love us a lot. And what God coming close means in the person of Jesus is that we don't have to speculate about what God is like. We don't have to just imagine, we can look at him. We look at the person of Jesus and we're looking at the face of God himself, God made flesh. And just like all gifts are gift wrapped, so Jesus comes wrapped up, not as we might imagine when God comes to earth, wrapped up in a palace and with a princess and with expensive clothes and good things. He comes wrapped up in a, in a feeding trough, as it were. He's born to a peasant girl. He's born into a stable. And that really sets the, sets the scene, it sets the tone for the rest of Jesus' ministry and his life where he comes to the lost and he comes to the least and he comes to the broken. He comes to those on the edge of society and he loves them and he serves them and he helps them. And when we look at, if we want to ask the question of what God is like and we look at Jesus, what we find is that God is incredibly generous. God is unfailingly kind. God is merciful. God comes close. Here's the second thing when we ask the question, what is the message of Christmas and the message of Christianity? The second thing is that God comes to save. So the announcement that the angels make to the shepherds is, is full of song and like celebration up there in the stars. They're so excited and they say, a saviour has been born to you. I don't know about you, but for me, that's only good news. It's only joyful news if I think I need to be saved. If we don't think we need to be saved, then it's like, whatever. 
You know, who cares? We can be indifferent to that piece of news. But if we think we need to be saved, then it's the best news ever. And I've been on a bit of a personal journey with this uh, because for much of my life I thought I was fine. And I remember there's a friend of mine called Danielle who works, uh, among other things, in setting people free who have been trafficked and ended up in sex slavery. She's an amazing woman. And she told me about something happened to her when a friend of hers came to visit. And the friend came to visit what the work that Danielle was doing. Danielle showed her all around the center and showed her and told her uh, what was going on and some of the stories of the people that had been set free. And her friend was this sort of super together, almost scarily successful businesswoman, one of these really high-powered people that scare the life out of me. And anyway, she was really impressed by everything that she saw Danielle doing. And they went and sat in Danielle's office afterwards and she just said, I think what you're doing is amazing, Danielle. I think it's incredible the way that you're setting these people free. And I want to support you in it and I want to encourage you in it. But then she said, but Danielle, there's just one thing about you that I just don't get. And that's the Christianity. She said, isn't Christianity for the weak? You're not weak, Danielle. I don't understand. Why do you need it? Isn't Christianity just this mental crutch? Danielle looked at her and she said, yeah, Christianity is for the weak. And then she said, I'm weak. She went on to say that Christianity, is, this isn't just my mental crutch. This is my whole stretcher. Anyway, her friend didn't really know how to respond to that, so she just got up and, you know, left. And, and about a week later, Danielle got a call from, from this seemingly super-together person in the early hours of the morning, and she was, this lady was crying on the phone. And she just said, Danielle, Danielle, I'm weak, I'm weak. And, and she told her story about how just for all of her life, she just had this massive pressure to try and get it together. She's managed to stitch together this, this persona of being a person who had everything sorted, but she, she wasn't. And underneath there was this quiet cry for help, this, this lonely desperation. And my own story is a little like that of spending so much of my life trying to achieve and trying to be somebody who could do it all and make it happen and just be determined and there's nothing weak about me. And, and then gradually, just before I became a Christian, really, I began to take an honest look in the mirror. And what I saw was, yes, there's some good things in there, but there's also a lot of mess and there's also a lot of baggage. There's also a lot of selfishness. Um, if I could put it like that, there's, an, there's also a lot of ugliness to my soul. And I, I don't know about you, but I have found that, that that reality, which I like to ignore, has become even harder to ignore throughout everything we've been through in the last 10 months. So one of my favorite stories from lockdown, I don't know if you saw this, this is back in the first lockdown, was, uh, do you remember back then when the weather was good and uh, those of us who had gardens were out, out in the garden trying to do some gardening? Well, this, it was on the news that this guy wandered into his back garden, he couldn't go to work, so he had some time on his hands, and he decided to do a little bit of gardening. And he starts digging um, in his lawn, and then he uncovered a car, not a model car, an actual full-size Ford from the 50s. Someone had buried it under his lawn, and he had no idea it was there. And it's on the news, you can Google it. But um, uh, I just thought, that's, that's a classic, a brilliant picture of what, for lots of us, perhaps has happened in the last 10 months. We've had some time on our hands. 
All those things that normally fill our hours that we use to distract ourselves have been stripped away from us. And not for all of us, but perhaps for many of us, for the first time in a long time, we've actually had a bit of time to go digging, as it were, to go reflecting on ourselves and see what's beneath the surface. And just like this man found that beneath the surface of his grass, for all that time, there was a giant car buried. For some of us, I know this has been true of me, we found that, gosh, there's an awful lot of stuff in me I didn't realize was there. More anger or more pride or more jealousy or more selfishness than I've ever um, admitted to myself. And what I love about Christianity is, well, what I don't love about it to begin with is that it's bad news before it's good news. Because the bad news is that all of us, each of us, need to be saved. The bad news is that there is a stand, our own standards we can't even meet, let alone God's. But, but if it starts off as that kind of news, then it becomes utterly spectacular news. Because what happens when the angels appear to the shepherds is they do not say to the shepherds, hey, we bring you some good advice with great joy. They don't say, hey, you know what? Here's 10 things you can do to improve your life. They, they don't come with a five-step program to wholeness and to wellness. They, they don't say, if you just work a little bit harder, if you just concentrate a little bit better, you'll become a good person. You'll become a better person. They don't say that. They say, we come with good news. And the news is this. A saviour has been born to you. A rescuer has arrived. A redeemer has come into the world and he's come to set us free from all those things that we could not set ourselves free from. He comes to bring freedom. He breaks the power of guilt. He destroys the shame that so many of us feel crippled by. He frees us from our sin. And for all of us who say yes to him, and that's all that's required to say yes and to give our lives to him, for all of us who do that, who put our hand in his hand, the hand of salvation, he takes us and he walks us from a place of bleakness and brokenness into a place of life and of wholeness. God comes close and he comes to save. And here's the third and the final thing. If Christmas is about God coming close, and it's about him coming to save. It's also about this. He comes for me. And he comes for you. The shepherds, they are not high on the social ladder. They're right at the bottom. The angels got sent to them. And when they arrived at the shepherds, they say to them, this is good news for all people, for everyone. And it includes me and it includes you. And if for some of us we think we've got it all together, for many of us that's not where we're at. Uh, for lots of us we think we actually we know we haven't. And I don't know how many of us have been on Zoom in the last 10 months, but I imagine most of us have and most of us wish we'd bought shares before this began. But on a Zoom call, maybe this is just me, but what I expect most of us do is we get the bit on the screen 
um, that everybody is going to see. We get that bit looking all right. You know, we, we, we make sure that there's nothing in the screen that could distract people or that would embarrass us. And we think, so long as this bit looks fine, then I'm fine. But actually, what almost all of us have done is we've hidden the dirty laundry over here and we've shoved the dirty dishes over there and half of us are just sitting there in our pants, but it's okay because this is the only part of me that you can see. And in a way, we do that when we're not on Zoom. We try and present this, this acceptable picture of ourselves and who we are to everyone around us. And we try and hide all the other bits, don't we? And one of the reasons we do that, I think, is fear. Because we're afraid if they really saw all that I was, if they really knew all that I was, would I still be accepted or would they leave? And that way of doing relationships, it just ends up, we end up full of fear and often quite insecure. And the message of Christianity, was, it blew my mind when I found this out, is not that in order to come into a relationship with God, you've got to get everything sorted or at least pretend you have. If you can just look acceptable, then he'll accept you. That's not the message. The message is he already sees us at our worst. He sees everything that we shove deep down inside that we don't even like to look at. He sees everything that we keep off camera and still he comes and still he offers us salvation and still he loves. And we meet this love that sees us at our very worst and says to us, I'll stay. And says to us, I delight in you. It doesn't leave us as we are, that love. When we come to know him, there are things that we say sorry for and there are things that we change. But it loves us as we are. And meeting a love like this, it, it really is transformative. It happened to me when I was 16 years old. And before that, before I came to know Jesus, I was pretty hardened as an individual. I'd numbed a lot of my emotions just because I'd been hurt. Coming to know him, it felt like coming inside from a cold day outside. You know, when your hands are numb and there's no feeling in them and then you just warm them and you rub them and life slowly comes back. That's what coming to know Jesus for me has been like. And for anyone I have found, as I've talked to them over the years, who've fully given themselves to God, they've got a similar story. Just like those shepherds, they've been transformed. The message of Christmas is this. God comes close. God comes to save. God comes for me and he comes for you.